You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Monday the 14th of November, beginning of a new week. It's grey, damp, a little more wintry here in TW11 today as we reflect on all the weekend's action from Cheltenham and from Ireland with a look ahead to the delights of Constitution Hill, Aplutar and much more during the course of this week. David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, is with me. In a moment, David, we're going to hear from trainer Emmett Mullins, whose Thousand Tears was a, a bitter disappointment in yesterday's Great Wood Hurdle. That, however, is only half the story. Just fill us in. Yeah, just that Thousand Tears was one of the gambles of the Greatwood Hurdle last week. Uh, opened at 16 to 1, was backed into 4 to 1 uh, at one point. Having his second start for Emmett Mullins, having left John Burke, the other was uh, in a maiden at the Galway Festival, in which uh, he finished ninth of 18 on the flat. Um, during uh, racing yesterday, Thousand Tears. Uh, drifted markedly in the end went off at 18 to 1 sp that was much bigger on exchanges and ran a lifeless race uh, looked uh, in trouble after the first flight of five instead of eight and then was pulled up by Aiden uh, by Aiden Coleman uh, after the second flight the stewards at the race course did look into it I'll read you the uh, relevant bit of the report um the performance of thousand tears which was pulled up was considered the representative of Emmett Mullins uh, explained that the gelding had been reluctant reluctant to race and effectively pulled himself up on this occasion the veterinary officer reported that a post-race examination of thousand tears during routine testing failed to reveal any abnormalities um so that's what they said at the track obviously as you can imagine uh, plenty of chats uh, about this at the time both at the track and on social media away from it yes so i spoke to emmett mullins this morning and i began by asking him in the lead up to the race what, in fact, had been his expectations of the horse? Well, I suppose, Nicky, just go back to um, his original price at 16 to 1, um, which he eventually drifted back out to close to, maybe a bit bigger. But if he started off, if the gamble hadn't materialised, uh, which I'd like to see the liabilities from the bookies' point of view, bringing him into 4-1, to one, but uh, if that hadn't materialised, it would have been just me disappointed on the day. <laughs> so is it your is it your suspicion, really, that the gamble was just, well, this is an Emmett Mullins horse and everybody had a careful question mark by him and therefore they were tightening, tightening? That You didn't, you didn't feel that there was any, any stable money for the horse going into the race? No, surely, uh, surely not. I don't feel he he wasn't a standout at home by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, as I say, there was uh, nobody uh, nobody that had been watching him work was backing him here. I would imagine. Um, but uh, I thought I thought he would run better than he did. I thought he might have been an each way bet if he was an each way price. Um, what transpired was uh, very disappointing, but um, as I say, from the betting point of view, as I say, he he probably started the price he should have been at sixteen to one earlier in the week, and uh, that's where he finished. And uh, what happened in the meantime is 
a bit of a mystery to me as uh, anyone that knows the horse wouldn't have been uh, shouting about his chances. Okay, so so in terms of what actually happened in the race, um, what how, how has he ended up basically just sort of lurching over a couple of hurdles and then and then doing nothing? He's a funny horse. Fabian said he jumped off. I told him to get in the box seat with a bit of cover. He can be keen, first time hood. And he said that by the time he got to the well, the original last hurdle that they had to go around, the horse just dropped the bridle, struggled for another two furlongs, stuttered over a hurdle, and didn't want to know, pulled himself up. Uh, unfortunately, uh, something that uh, uh, happens, he's uh, even before we got him, he refused to come out of the parade ring in Roscommon, so he has a history. Um, it's probably not in the comments and running as such for everyone to see, but he has a history of this sort of thing. And um, unfortunately, it's one of the ones we, we, we don't seem to have been able to master. So you think he's just he was just taking the mickey out of you? Yeah, um, we we suspect that he's been scoped. BHA vets have looked him over afterwards, and uh, we'll see how that comes back. But all the post veterinary work, uh, scope and shutting up, and uh, he's one hundred percent. There's a there's nothing to nothing to fault him on. Unfortunately, we have no. No reasons for the bad run. We just think it's attitude. Yeah. All right. So, so the vets have looked at him, and presumably you get you get routine tested anyway, don't you? After something like that, I imagine so. Yes. Um, the favourites would a uh, uh, disappointing favourite would be routine tested. I know he didn't go off favourite, but I suppose with the betting patterns, it would have been uh, highlighted. So no, he he would have been routine tested uh, as right. Okay. Well, um, I, I, you weren't there yesterday, were you? No, I was in Ottawa for another disappointment, so oh. um, it was a tricky day for me. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you taking the call this morning, Emmett. I mean, what do you do with him now? Do you do you, do you just wheel him out quickly and try and get him somewhere closer to home? I imagine off the top of my head, we'll stretch him out in distance, try to get to the front, and hopefully try and make life easier for him not in such a competitive two my handicap maybe stretch him out and trip and uh, see if he can get things his own way in front and if not um, I'm at my wit's end let's tell Paul about what to do with him <laughs> Emmett Mullins there Dave Yates from the Daily Mirror is with me Dave to what extent have you learned anything new there? It fills in a few gaps, doesn't it, from uh, what uh, the trainer's representative said. I mean, th this is one of those cases, Nick, that we have in horse racing from time to time where there is a huge spectrum of possibilities and some people draw their own conclusions at one extreme and others perhaps will be more prepared to uh, occupy the middle ground. Uh, bookmakers have a hair trigger sensitivity when it comes to certain yards and it wouldn't take an awful lot of money let's be honest about it uh, for thousand tiers to contract significantly in the anti-post market of course on the day of the race when uh, you see drifts like this when a, an abject performance is foretold by the betting market of course it makes everybody's ears prick up and you think right what was going on here uh, the trainer's expectation is that their expectations weren't high, that uh, 
they essentially had nothing to do with the the shortening of the horse into four to one or indeed uh it's drifting on the day of the race and that you know that they're going to look for a softer target where the horse perhaps has things his own way for the rest of us i suppose that um for the time being we have to take those explanations at face value and uh follow the career of thousand tears in the short to medium term with interest in the future Right, moving on, and I promise you we, we are going to talk about some excellent racing that's both happened and is set to happen, but just want to tidy up a few more of your, your questions over the, over the weekend, and particularly the one that has led to a, a lead in today's uh, Racing Post, which is that both Richard Hoyles, the highly respected ITV commentator, and pundit Ruby Walsh were both quite critical of Cheltenham's decision to take their time dolling off the final hurdle in the Greatwood, leading to a, a six-minute delay, which is obviously not ideal when you the last race on, on terrestrial coverage. And uh, I have put it to Clark of the Course, John Pullen, that this should have been a speedier process. And this is what he said. Yeah, Nick, um, there is a, a sort of a formal protocol that, that, that's followed in these situations. Um, you know, if jockeys have got concerns before they go out to ride... They um, notify the stipendary stewards that they may have concerns. Uh, they then should uh, ride past any ob- obstacles that they've got concerns over. And when arriving at the start, inform the starter. The, the starter then comes back to the stipendary stewards. And then there's the liaison with, with the clerks of the course uh, to implement the bypass if the jockeys aren't, aren't happy. That p- protocol was followed. Um, you know, the, the, the jockeys got down to the start raised their concerns, and we implemented those bypass procedures as soon as was possible. Uh, given the fact that the, the sun was, broadly speaking, in the same place as it had been a little earlier, is that not something you could have foreseen and got in, got in front of? You know, we, we'd got the team ready uh, at both obstacles uh, to implement those bypass procedures, um, you know, and, and we implemented it as soon as this protocol had been followed. So we did it as soon as we could. Okay, so that's the that's the important point to note really here is the extent to which you're in control of that process. So you, you have to follow a protocol laid down by you by the, for you by the BHA, yes? That's correct, yes. And, and you know, this is a decision that is driven by the jockeys and any concerns they, they raise. You know, it, it's... It's not for me as the clerk of the course to to make decisions over, you, you know, which obstacles should uh, or shouldn't be jumped. You know, it, it's got to be, you know, in, in consultation and driven by the jockeys. So, in a sense, you have to wait until they've had a look at that first hurdle. That's that's right. You know, that that's the, the protocol, you know, the current protocol is set out so that they get the opportunity to to assess those those obstacles. Um, you know, as we know, not, not the case this weekend, you know, uh, but... You, you can get cloud cover within, you know, minutes, and and that's one of the reasons it's left until they get down to the start to to sort of assess. Um, you know, it, it may be that it clouds over, and and those obstacles could be jumped. All right. What about Harry Fry's point? If if you're going to take him out, take him out, um, and and rather than having that rather daft sort of chicane system. Yeah. No, I think it's a really valid point, and and certainly something we're keen to review. Um, given the circumstances that, w- that we face this weekend, as you say, consistent sort of weather, low sun, very little cloud. Um, I think it's something that should be considered that, you know, if we can make that decision, particularly, uh, you know, as we, we were running a bumper as the last race, the hurdles would have to come out anyway. I think if we can, you know, sort of review the protocol and get to a situation where 
in similar circumstances we can take out the hurdles, then I think it makes absolute sense. That was John Pullen from Cheltenham. This is Dave Yates. Dave, what do you make of that? From a punter's perspective, you want as many hurdles or as many obstacles jumped as possible. That's what uh, people are, are betting on, a race with eight hurdles, and they don't want to bet on a race with five therefore i do think that it's imperative that you get the views of the jockeys when they get around to, down to the start and not all those jockeys will want to do away with obstacles because in some cases they will think well my my mount strength is his or her jumping and so i want those in um i think that it would create a difficult and a, a rather unsatisfactory precedent if the officials took a unilateral decision in order to save time and the jockeys were frozen out of the argument. I'm sure there's a there's a, a third way of doing that, whereby maybe the, the jockeys could get there a minute or two earlier than usual and that they could have their input and that the race wouldn't be off six minutes late. But I do think you need uh, input from the jockeys because, yes, of course, um, the, the, we, we know that the safety of horse and rider is paramount, but also punters need to be uh, considered too. And if it's safe to run the race with the, the uh, with, with eight obstacles rather than five, then that's what they should do. Right, Dave, before we talk about this upcoming weekend, let's tidy up what we have just seen Cheltenham and Ireland, the highs and the lows. What were your standout performances? Well, I was taken by Gar Law's uh, victory in the Paddy Power Gold Cup. French dynamite of Mouse Morris is bidding to give the trainer his first winner in Britain since Rule the World's victory in the Grand National six years ago. French dynamite went round on rails, but it was Gar Law uh, who had the stamina and the will to win on the climb to the line. That was uh, a biggest win for Jamie Snowden, uh, of course, who uh, once trained for the Mirror Punters Club. So this would have got very close uh, to uh, the highlights of his training career thus far. Johnny Burke gave that horse an excellent ride and uh, advertised his talents. Um, it was also a poignant victory because uh, the, the horse is um, owned by the Footy Partnership, uh, not lovers of the beautiful game, uh, but a five-strong syndicate whose sixth member, uh, Nick Foote, had died from cancer in 2017. So uh, that was a, a notable victory. I was We've, we've talked about uh, the Greatwood hurdle, and we haven't really talked or barely mentioned the winner. Uh, I like to move it. Nigel Twiston-Davies has had, I think it's fair to say, a couple of uh, frustrating seasons. His total for the last two campaigns campaigns completed 60 in 2021 and 68 in 21-22. The stable is normally in the 70s, 80s and uh, occasionally 90s. Um, so it was good to see I like to move it win. He scored off a, a BHA mark of 142. One would imagine on the back of a five and a half length win in what is normally uh, one of the most competitive two mile handicap hurdles of the season I think it probably lacked a bit of competitiveness this year and then now we will see this horse in the conditions events won't we I'm sure he'll go for the grade two international hurdle at Cheltenham next month and certainly for a stable who are used to having uh, good horses on the big days uh, this was a, a welcome victory and, and good to see father and son Nigel and Sam Twist and Davis combined as well. Now, Dave, other performances to note over the weekend. Uh, MS Allen was very good on Friday. Banbridge was very good in the novice chase on Saturday. Queen's Gamble for Oliver Sherwin, Johnny Burke in the mayor's bumper was really good. We spoke to the owner, Alex Frost, on this podcast last week. And Newby Negra had to beat a couple of rank inferiors 
in the in the Schler chase in the end. Um, but all notable in their own way. Yeah, they were. I mean, obviously, Nube Negra, the, the betting market tells you pretty much all you need to know about that race. He started at 10 to 1 on, and he routinely disposed of a couple of rivals. Edward Stone, of course, the Arca winner, didn't run in that race. Uh, hence, uh, Nube Negra's building society odds. Yeah, Hermes Allen was very impressive for Paul Nichols on uh, Friday afternoon in uh, the Ballymore trial, got quotes of about eight to one uh, for the big one. We know in the last couple of years that the 13 time champion trainer has said, well, Cheltenham's not the be all and end all. But if Emma's Allen, if he builds on that thunderously impressive win uh, from a couple of Irish trained rivals, uh, then uh, in the remainder of the season, it'd be difficult, I would think, to swerve Cheltenham uh, with him. Talking afterwards to uh, Rich Ritchie, who was the owner of the uh, the third-placed horse uh, behind Hermes Allen, he said that Willie Mullins has got a good half-dozen better than that, which is probably what we'd have, we would have expected to hear. Uh, anyway, Banbridge was the uh, winner of the Martin Pipe conditional hurdle at Cheltenham last year, the final, sorry, the last season, the final race of the meeting. Whilst Banbridge was essentially a handicap hurdler going places, they expected him to be a graded horse over fences. That, of course, was a grade two race uh, that he won at Cheltenham on Saturday, and he will now be going up to the top level, I suspect, at Leopardstown over Christmas or he could go for the uh, the two and a half mile grade one at Cork. So he looks exciting. And just finally, yeah, Queen's Gamble, thunderously impressive. And this is not only a horsey story, uh, but it's a human interest uh, one too, isn't it? That this horse is trained by Oliver Sherwood, uh, a hugely popular figure among the training ranks who um, spoke very candidly afterwards about his battle with cancer, which, uh, which, he appears to have won, uh, which is the best news of all and, and puts horse racing into a um, a very sharp perspective. But Queen's Gamble came away and won that race by eight lengths. Um, he said afterwards, Oliver Sherwood, that this is the best mare that he's trained and he's won the mare's final, he said, at Newbury uh, four or five times. Uh, so high praise indeed for Queen's Gamble. And as I think anyone watching that, it was quite uh, what was quite notable about that, Nick, I thought afterwards on Saturday. Most people in the press room, most journalists are writing their copy at 4.05. Obviously, the, the, they don't expect uh, to include uh, the listed mare's bumper in their reports but everybody went down a to listen to what oliver sherwood had to say but also to congratulate him because that was a universally popular win and let's hope that she does build on that when she goes over obstacles and realizes her potential that would be a, a great story for racing so we talked about emmett mullins at the beginning of the the show uh his uncle willie mullins uh, didn't have the best of weekends in many respects, and more, more because of what he wasn't running. Alaho is is out now, and and probably won't run until the festival, if at all. Uh, Fernie Hollow didn't run yesterday because of the ground. Fernie Hollow uh, coming back from injury, they decided not to risk on the ground. And Alaho, very much a, a headline horse, was an even money favourite for the King George the Sixth Chase at Kempton on Boxing Day. And a couple of niggles, he said two niggles, uh, hopefully they'll come right at the same time. He didn't rule out a, a prep run before a third run, presumably in the Ryanair Chase at Cheltenham. But... Uh, that was frustrating that we won't see Alaho. It opens the door for Brave Man's game. Also, of course, uh, 
gentleman Dumay, who was an odds-on favourite for his first run in open company over fences at Nace, uh, came down when beaten at the last two. So, yeah, there'll be plenty of good weekends ahead, one suspects, for Irish uh, for the Irish champion trainer, Willie Mullins, but this weekend wasn't one of them. Right, we're going to ratchet the, the action up a notch this week and this weekend. The declarations have just come through for Warwick on Wednesday and that clash between Mon Mural, who was a very good juvenile hurdler and marked time a little bit last season. Mon Mural will take on West Cork, but most significantly John Bon, you heard from Nicky Henderson on this podcast last week, revealed he'll be going to Warwick on Wednesday. So that's a terrific race to look forward to in the middle of the week for those who like a bit of midweek jumping. And at the end of this week, the Betfair Chase is the grade one feature at Haydock Park. We were worried when an initial entry of just six came through for the race at the early closing stage that Aplutar might end up having some kind of a walkover. But I rung around the trainers this morning. Protectorat definitely is going to run. Eldorado Allen is going to run. Bristol de May, the multiple winner, is going to run. And Frodon is possible to run. We already knew that Royal Pagai was on the sidelines and wouldn't run. So it looks as though we could still get a field of at least four and probably five for the Betfair Chase, Dave. Yeah, I mean, th- there were seven last year when Aputar beat uh, Royal Pagai by 22 lengths. And when we had the six entries, obviously there were uh, warning flags uh, that we might have a, a really small field, uh, possibly even a match between Aplutar and Protectorat. Of course, old Bristol de May uh, will turn up. I think that if we get four or five uh, for the Betfair chase this year, that's a- about par for the course. We know that uh, Aplutar is going to start a strong favourite for this, but certainly the presence of Protectorat and with his connections bullish uh, about this horse, then we will have a race of interest, let's put it that way. Uh, although on his form of last winter, we would expect Aplutar to win it. But one would think that perhaps the uh, the three-mile trip will bring uh, him and Protectorat closer together. So at least I think we've got... Uh, it, it'll, it'll prove informative to some degree what we see on Saturday. And just a reminder that it's not just Haydock in the spotlight Saturday. It'll be Ascot as well, because the most exciting horse in training, I say that without reservation, Constitution Hill is set to make his seasonal debut at Ascot. Nicky Henderson confirmed on this podcast last week that the entry at Newcastle for the Fighting Fifth was simply an insurance policy, should anything go awry. He will, however, Dave, be keeping quite a close eye on the weather just in case it it doesn't get a bit wetter, I would think. We we suspect that if it were to be a dry week, then uh, Constitution Hill's participation in the Coral Hurdle might be in doubt. Interestingly, you and I were talking about uh, the weather, as we often do, um, before uh, recording this podcast. And there are, on most uh, weather forecast sites, 100% uh, chance of rain in the first uh, half of this week. So that basically means it's going to rain and it's probably going to rain uh, for extended periods of time in Royal Berkshire in, in uh, the first half of this week. So that should tailor conditions for Constitution Hill. Um, a horse who really divides opinion at the head of the betting market, I think, uh, for the champion hurdle. Really interesting that he's the standout favourite, despite the fact that Honeysuckle has won the race twice before and has yet to be beaten. Uh, but was su- such was his impression created when uh, winning the Supreme Novices hurdle at Cheltenham last March in a good time figure, got rave reviews from all 
the uh, the form boffins. And so that's why he's at the head of the market. Also, Lompresse is due to run uh, as well in uh, at Ascot this Saturday. So one would imagine Venetia Williams would be in a similar boat to Nicky Henderson there, uh, wanting rain. We know that there has been a, a general shortage uh, of the wet stuff in uh, the first few weeks weeks of the jump season proper but it looks at this point at least that we should get enough rain for those two stars to make their return at Ascot this weekend. Well continuing our build up to the ROA Awards the Race or Sound Association Awards which take place on the 8th of December looking forward to hosting those uh, and there are many many categories flat and jumps always a popular category uh, the uh, categories for, for mares and for those in the special achievement category. The National Hunt mares this time, it's a strong lineup. Honeysuckle, of course, is in there. Ellie May, Epaton, Love Envoy, Marie's Rock. But Win My Wings would surely be a, a very popular winner uh, given her exploits in the spring last year when she really blossomed and bloomed and it culminated in that amazing victory in the Scottish National. Uh, she's owned by Sue Howell. Her uh, retirement was announced recently. She'll be off to the breeding shed soon. Um, but Sue, it's only a minor injury. She's she's doing well i gather she's doing very well yes yeah, she a minor injury and uh we're very pleased with her um it forced us into retirement of her um and we're absolutely uh delighted that she's been nominated for an award um and a racing career end um she did win a uh, Chaser Award at the ROA Welsh Racing Awards, which we were over the moon with. But to be nominated for the main ROA is fantastic. And she's doing very well. And, and what made you decide to, to call time now? We think she's uh, given us so much fun and enjoyment. Um, we, were, we were disappointed. We were ready to run at the Charlie Hall. She was very, very well. Then with this minor setback, we think at age nine now, um, is made the decision for us that she should go breeding. She's going to make a lovely breeding mare. And are, are you going to breed from her, or are you going to sell her? Our first choice would be to sell. We're not really set up for breeding ourselves, and we think she would do much better going to a very nice stud. Okay. And uh, would you do that through public auction, or are you going to do it privately? Options open at the moment. Everything's come uh, very quickly, and options are open at the moment. <laughs> you're you're being you're you're being very coy, Sue. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not sure at the moment which way to uh, to go, but uh, there has been interest in her. I, 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 I'm always interested at how how it then makes owners behave when you get a sort of horse of a lifetime like this, and they maybe she sells and maybe she sells for quite good money. Uh, do you if you have the mindset well, we never we'll never get another one like this or let's look for the next one um i'm going to i'm going to double down and reinvest we always reinvest anyway um we are continually looking for the next best one uh, that that's never stopped um she's obviously um has been fantastic uh we still have a good handful of horses some in training we've got some youngsters as well so we're always um, always looking for the next best one. <laughs> so she's given us all so much fun. Best of luck on the 8th of December. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're just a little bit slow to pick up on the Tattersall's Island Foal sales last week. Um, and whilst the average was around about 30,000, um, someone averaging 50,000 was 
Um, consigner Will Kinsey, who with his partners Ross Alberto and Dave Greenway of Future Bloodstock, sold three foals for 75000 78000 and 82000 That's an incredible result. But it's all from, from mares that people will be really familiar with. And it's quite a neat story for those who follow National Hunt Racing and Bloodstock. Yeah, that's right, Nick. Look, it's a really, it is a good story. Um, Dave and Ross and myself got together a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, we, we syndicated a racehorse and got some friends in. And basically, after that, you know, we, we kind of felt that we didn't get enough, what we were looking for, really, enough enjoyment out of it. And our, our love for racing was so much deeper. So Dave and Ross and I decided to form a little company called Future Bloodstock and, and buy some mares, of which the first one was was Limony. And that was, what, three years ago. We bought a 75 grand in Paul to um, Australia. And it sort of went from there. And then we tried to buy a few more Uh uh, which we did and then the price of mares went up and then we bought a few so three-year-old fillies and you know we're always looking at sort of angles really and then this anyway to cut a long story short this was the first crop harvest that we had as it were the first bowls that have ever been for sale so you know this has been two or three years in the making and uh, our first harvest was a very good one it, it certainly was so just tell me what you sold last week so we sold well the three future blood stocks were Firstly, there was a, a Nathaniel Colt out of Limony. Um, so he sold on the Monday. He, he was a lovely athletic Colt, and he made seventy-five thousand euros. And then, and then on the following day, we had a Nathaniel Colt out of. Well, but firstly, we had two lots. One selling after another. We had a, uh, a no risk at all filly. She's a three-part sister to Alaho, so she was actually out of a mare called Shanning, who we bought out of Willie's. Uh, Willie Mullins is uh, when we had Stormy Island there and um, she was a black type mare so that this filly foal was her three part sister and she made 82,000 and then the very next lot we had a, another Nathaniel Colt out of a mare called When Skies Are Blue who I'd bought actually at Tats as a three year old store and um, she's a sister to Vidana presenting sister to Vidana Blue and he made 78 so uh, it was it was amazing Nick uh, and then we had three other good sales as well so you know, we had a very good, we had a very good few days. Yeah, that I mean, that's a that's a fantastic result. And um, people would think that these mares are out of their reach, but um, you've you've clearly taken the policy that you go in at the high end and and hope for a and hope for a high yield. Nick, it's like anything in business. You know, you've got to try and buy at the right price. Um, otherwise, you know, we're trying to. It's not as much as as much fun as we get out of it, and you know, and try and make hobby out of it it's a business uh you know and if we're paying too much money for the mares and we don't see a return then it, they're not they're not viable so look i think we got in a few years ago and limony i think was a freak result when we bought her i just think it was one of those in the right place at the right time on the day and then we've sourced other mares you know what, what we think is the right price we all know the risk of breeding you know they could come out small dead or not get the mares in fold and you know we you know everyone has that bad luck and everyone thinks that you know we don't we do you know people do but to get three results like that was fantastic and you know dave i and myself and ross have together as a team have worked hard to, to you know to find the mares and, and put values on them at what we think is the right price and look it's it's you know it's it, i say the first sale has been great i told them it doesn't always work out quite so well um, but we've got look, we've got seven or eight really nice mares at home, and some other nice foals. Some that we're going to goss in, in January. So fingers crossed for more of the same. You know, when my wings is for sale, I've just been speaking to Sue Howell. Any interest? Uh, I do know that she's for sale actually, because um, I, I do actually. I get quite a few phone calls these days, 
from people when when mares might be for sale. So she's um, she's a great mare with a very high rating. Um, whether you know, I'd had said to Christian, I'll go down and have a look at her. Um, but again, you know, what we the value that we may put on it may be something different to what the owner's looking for. But she's a nice mare with a nice pedigree, uh, and I. I I mean, there can't be many mares that were rated higher than her last year. So, um, you know, good luck to them. But she, yeah, she's definitely got breeding, uh, you know, good breeding rights for the future, for sure. Will Kinsey there. Well done to him with his success at the sales last week. News has just come through to me that Al Flayler, who would undoubtedly have been one of the leading fancies for the Bahrain International Trophy, will not run. Has sustained uh, an issue in Bahrain. Will not run. He's out, Al Flayler. Uh, that'll take place on Friday, the race, and I'll be heading out there tomorrow to join Tom Stanley and the team. Also expected today, later today, is the new blueprint for governance of British racing, and I will be discussing that with Lydia Hislop on tomorrow's podcast. She will be at BHA headquarters to report on that. I'll be discussing that with her later today, and we'll be publishing that tomorrow morning. So that is something for you to look forward to if you are interested in the uh, in the governance of British of British horse racing. Now because we are feeling in the festive spirit here on the podcast we're teaming up with our friends and partners at My Racehorse UK to celebrate the 6 week countdown to Christmas by giving three of you three lucky winners the chance to win a 100 pound gift card. Now follow me on Twitter at Nick Luck and at My Racehorse UK. Like and retweet the tweet, and you get a bonus entry for using hashtag MRHUK. There are just three days to enter, and three of you will win a £100 My Race Horse gift card, which will go an awful long way to buying a share in one of the racehorses currently in training, either with John Gosden, Jonathan Gosden, Joseph O'Brien, or Andrew Balding, with more news to follow. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Uh, David Yates is still with me, has a tip for you. Yes, we're going to my beloved Plumpton uh, this afternoon, Nick, and it's the happy birthday Barry Faulkner handicap hurdle. I'm sure that we uh, echo the sentiments of the race title in wishing Barry a happy 70th birthday. Number nine, Storm Hill, uh, came down at Warwick on handicap debut at the beginning of this month. I hope can make amends here. 240 race at Plumpton. Selection is number nine, Storm Hill. Poor old Barry had to put used to have to put up with my attempts to present American horse racing shows every Sunday night for about the first eighteen months of my career. So, um, I'm wishing you many happy returns, Barry. Uh, Seventy today. Uh, wishing you a wonderful week. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks to all my guests. Thank you for listening. That was Monday, November the fourteenth. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.